turn with Hebrews chapter 13. Every time we are in our communion service, we like to go through the book of Hebrews. Take a passage here. Let me get myself ready. Maybe I should have got myself ready first before I said good morning. Huh? There. All right. Um, before we begin, I want to, um, one of our sister churches, IGC, Island Grace, and on Oahu, um, we've had a big tragedy in Island Grace. Uh, we heard last night, I talked to Ray and Jay, their elders out there, uh, one of their dear friends who went to go help plant the church, um, Norm de Guzman, uh, he... Some of you might know him. I know. I know. Dre knows him. I know. Uh, Manny knows him. Nor Guzman. He went home to be with the Lord. Um, he was suffering from. Um, he was healing from uh, operation of, from jaw cancer, and uh, he caught COVID while he was still in compromised. And our dear brother, you know, Christy, um, his wife, uh, Colin and Kyle, their two boys in Hawaii, um, they're just weeping right now. The whole church is weeping. So I asked if it would be okay if we would share it with our church because we're tied with them. Um, I know Brother Andre, when we were on Oahu together, we just happened to be there. He met some members of IGC. They're just blessed folks and uh, if you are Marines ever stationed in K-Bay you should go to Island Grace uh, they'll love on you and preach Christ to you but we want to pray for um, the family of Norm de Guzman and IGC and uh, Ray and Jay said please pray for us please please pray for us so why don't we pray Father in heaven we, we love Norm he was trained at Community Bible Church in Vallejo he's a blessed, blessed brother who loved Christ. Lord, we pray for Christy. Would you lift her up? Colin and Kyle, God, they are weeping now. And the church is weeping. We, we can't even fathom it or even believe it, but how life is so short. He was so young too. Father, we pray that you would heal Christy. You would give her strength. That she would serve you, love you. Find her hope and her strength in you. God, we also pray for IGC. Would they rally around the Guzmans now? Oh God, would you embrace them with the power of your son? May scriptures guide their hearts and minds. We pray. We love you and we praise you. Help us to hear uh, this sermon. Help us to be challenged. Help us to grow, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, it says, Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Verse 3, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves are in the body. This seems like an out-of-context te- uh, passage here, but we know that it is situated here after, after, first, uh, after Hebrews 1 through 12. Now the writer of Hebrews is telling us, if in fact you do believe that Christ died on the cross, if he is the, the priest who is interceding on your behalf, if in fact he is the once and for all sacrifice for your sins, then this is how your life ought to be. See, there's this weight that comes from the passage here And just follow with me, and if you would turn with your hand here in Hebrews chapter 1, he's talking about in verse 5, for you are my son, today I have begotten you. He's talking about Christ here. Uh, Verse 3, he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, that is, he is bled for his people. Verse uh, chapter 3, he talks about here, in chapter 3, he talks about how he is, uh, verse 1, therefore holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. And so he moves on in verse chapter 4, he's talking about Jesus as our rest. In verse 14, he says, therefore since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We have a high priest who can we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things. We understand that because he has put on flesh, he has faced all temptation as a man, God coming in the flesh to die for our sins. He then says in verse 16, therefore let us draw near with confidence. And in chapter 5, he repeats his perfect he is the perfect high priest chapter 7 he is the priest who is like on the order of Melchizedek eternal chapter 10 verse 3 but in those sacrifices there's a remainder of sins year by year it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins and then he says in verse 12 but he this is Christ He lets the reader hear. He lets the audience chew on this truth. He says, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. There, and that's what we celebrate even in communion. He sacrificed himself, gave of of himself for all time. That means we don't have to earn it. That means... Because of God, he created us and that we were made to give him glory. Jesus Christ came in the flesh to die, to live, die, and to be buried and to be resurrected and ascended for us. And the Bible says if we have faith in him and we trust in him and him alone and repent of our sins and turn to Christ, the Bible says that you will be saved. That's the promise. 
And so you don't have to keep chasing after superstition, keep changing after different religions, trying to earn salvation. The Bible says he has done it once for all. And so it sits there, this truth sits there. And now he moves to chapter 12. Um, That's why we should run this race. And now he's going to tell us what it means to run. Chapter 13, verse 1. You know, sometimes, sometimes we don't want to do these verses because we're selfish. And sometimes that's where the disconnect comes. We hear good doctrine from church. You might hear it in our fellowships. You might hear it in discipleships. But brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us that good doctrine, good biblical doctrine that honors Christ should in fact translate into your life. And the way he calls us to translate that into our lives is that now we ought to be a people who love other people. Now this is not a trite or general or trivial saying. God's word here is given so this morning so that you would powerfully display the love of Christ in tangible ways. See, it's very easy to say, you know, you you hear it all the time on your text, on your phone, on social media, when you're talking to people, love you, love you, love you guys, love you guys, love you guys. And we like to leave love you in an ambiguous, amorphous, unshaped, undefined kind of way. And yet God says in his text here, if in fact you've been loved by Christ, if in fact you have been transformed by Christ, and if he is your high priest ever interceding for you, the Bible says that this should transform your life. If you've been transformed by his love, then you should be a conduit of grace for his love. And now he's pointing to this fact that you are to love in tangible ways. When I say tangible, the the title of my sermon is called Concrete Love. Really, how do you love? I'm going to ask that question, brothers and sisters. And I ask this question, this is a convicting text to hear. Because now it's it's not just saying, do you have right doctrine? Do Do you subscribe to the right confession? All that is good and fine. We need to be orthodox. But do you live the right life? In response to the love that you yourself have received in Christ. So based on the fact that Christ is the perfect high priest. Who died once for all. He calls you brothers and sisters. Those who have trusted in Christ. He calls you to display love in three tangible, measurable and concrete ways. The first one, in verse 1, quite simply, is to love the body of Christ. If you've experienced the love of Christ, his dying love for you, you need to love the body of Christ. Notice it says, let love of the brethren continue. He says it very, very clearly. I say love the body of Christ because here in context, the word there for love of the brethren, it's not some ooey gooey, again, undefined kind of good feeling. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the, uh, in in context, it is the love that a brother and a sister share for one another. 
It is a family love. It's not like you come into, you become a Christian and then you kind of love like family. No, the Bible says, if in fact you've been redeemed, you've been brought into this body and that you ought to love as brother and sister. The word there, love of the brethren, actually it's not even four words. It's one word. It's Philadelphia. We know that word, right? Pennsylvania, we think about the city. We call it the city of brotherly love. Philadelphos, right? It is that love between brother and sister. And what happens is the writers of the New Testament took this word and gave it its technical meaning saying that it is the love and the fellowship and the sharing of what we experience between brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a supernatural experience of this love that I share with you. You receive, you know this truth. I know this truth. You know this Savior. I know this Savior. God has blessed me to be able to preach in different countries. And everywhere I go, when I start to land and then I start to preach, and I, and I meet other Christians who love the Lord Jesus Christ, they're my brother. They're my sister. Not like my brother. Not like my sister. They are. They are family. And that's what God has called us to be. See, I don't use this term lightly. I'm I'm part of different groups and different clubs and everything. I only reserve it for those who have truly trusted in Christ and are walking with him. That's truly my brother. We have the same blood running through our, our veins. The blood of the Savior. The blood of the Prince of Peace. This love, he says, is a supernatural love that the believer experiences when he or she truly surrenders to Christ. In 1 John chapter 4, in fact, it's a mark of a Christian. When you, be, when you first start coming to church and you're not saved and maybe you're checking out people and you don't know and you, they, they think different, they speak different and you're looking at them and go, man, I'm so different from them. I don't really connect. I don't have any connections with this people. But all of a sudden, this is my experience, this might be yours. When I got saved, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, these people who I thought were different, who I thought were weird, they're family now. It doesn't matter where we come from, our backgrounds, our economic backgrounds, our social backgrounds, our ethnic backgrounds. It didn't matter anymore because what, what, we, what we were identifying with was the Savior. And so now we're brothers and sisters in Christ. First John says, as a mark of a Christian, First John 4, 19 and 20. You could write this down in 21. <laughs> Here he This is what he says. We love because he first loved us. So what happens is God starts, brothers and sisters, you have to understand this. Our loving of anyone is only a response because he loved us first. You understand that? You will not have power to love other people. You, like me, we get irritated. I am not as godly as I want to be. I want to be more patient. I want to be more loving. I want to be more gentle. I have to be with the Savior and be reminded of his love for me, just like you do. We love. The only reason we can love and show these fruits of love and show these good works is because he first, what? Loved us. He melted our hearts. And now when we look at each other, you're, you're, you're not some, a different family. You're not a different friend. You are my family in Christ. And so God says, 
We love because he first loved us. Verse 20. If someone says I love God. If someone says I'm a Christian. And hates his brother. That is in context a Christian. He's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother. Whom he has seen. Cannot love God. Whom he has not seen. If, the, if someone says you know what. I love Jesus. I love God. But you know I can't stand the church. I can't stand being around Christians. I can't stand. The, they're a bunch of hypocrites. I can't stand this. I can't stand that. You know what. I'm starting to doubt. Whether or not you really love God at all. The Bible says you're a liar. Why? Because the broken church. The sometimes messed up church. The sometimes sinful church is his bride. And he says, if you're a Christian, let the love of the brethren continue. You notice he says the word continue. It means to remain, to stay, to abide, to persist, to last. And, and quite frankly, the Bible is saying here, in its context, the word continue is it's in its imperative. All that means is it's a command. You've got to let this love continue. You've got to let this love between me and you, brothers and sisters, and you with each other, you've got to let it be cultivated. You've got to give it time. You've got to let it be exercised. You've got to let it be protected. You've got to feed it. You've got to stoke it for one another. You've got to keep doing good works for one another. <laughs> As I said, the writer of Hebrews does not say to initiate this love. He doesn't say you start this love. Why? We love because he what? He loved first. In fact, it's quite telling. He calls you rather not to start it, but to say, he says what? Let it continue. In other words, you don't have to fabricate it. You don't have to create it. But rather, as one beloved by Christ, you love those who love Jesus. See, what can happen in our love between one another and in the body of Christ is it can be hampered. It could be ignored. It could be hindered. It could be blocked by sin, by selfishness. One of the blocks of our love for one another is sometimes it's Sinful familiarity. You know that saying, familiarity breeds contempt? Not, I would say not all the time, but I would say sinful familiarity. When you start to treat each other rude, and you start to bag on each other or cap on each other. That's what we used to say back in Vallejo. Y'all capping on me. When we used to bag on each other all the time, right? Many, many times this familiarity with sin, this joking can be, become so very hurtful. With words, we're no longer loving each other anymore. We're no longer treating each other kindly because we're so familiar. We're thinking, oh, they could take it. They could take it. And then you're starting to hurt your brother and sister. Or neglect. This is a huge one. This is how you hinder love in your life. And if you're not feeling like, hey, man, I'm not, I don't have the love of the body. I don't really experience that. Maybe it's because you're neglecting. What are you neglecting? You're neglecting fellowship. You're neglecting discipleship for some reasons. You're neglecting opening up yourself. Sometimes, oftentimes, you have not blocked out your schedule to be devoted to fellowship. And then slowly, slowly, you allow yourself to be swallowed up by the world. And fellowship with the world is more attractive. Maybe there's ongoing conflict. That blocks love as well. 
love of the brethren. You don't take God's call for you to deal with conflicts in a biblical and humble manner. You ignore it. You let it fester. You just walk the other way. And you don't go through the process of confession and repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation in Christ. And so that love becomes hindered. And so rather than dealing it, this is what folks do. This is not my first rodeo, okay? This is what folks do. They either, oh, I got something bad against this person in this church. What do they do? They leave. They go to another church. It goes fine for about two, three years. Then all of a sudden something happens. Somebody offends them again. And it happens again. And God is, God wants to teach them through the church, hey, you need to deal with this through reconciliation. What happens? Instead of that, they get up and they go to another church and they go to another church never ever maturing why because they're not facing themselves facing the sin facing it and asking for forgiveness and asking for confession so a lot of times it's never been dealt with so that's how you block the love of the brethren another thing is just selfishness you only care about what's comfortable to you so you only do things that bring you comfort I don't want to do that. That's uncomfortable. That means I have to get up and do stuff. Love, by definition, requires energy. Do you know that? It requires commitment. Look at this verse. 1 Peter chapter 1. We, we read this verse. 1 Peter chapter 1. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter says it the same way. chapter 1 and 22 since you have in obedience to the truth those are those who have obeyed the gospel you obey the gospel by believing it okay purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren here's his encouragement notice he says here what fervently fervently love one another from the heart that is the very bottom and the seat of who you are. Not fake. Quit being fake. He says here, for a sincere love, stop with the fakeness. Stop with the church face. Stop with the Bible study face. Give us the real deal. You're hurting? Let us know. I want to pray for you. You're struggling with sin? Let me know. I want to pray for you. I'm struggling. Could you pray for me? And that's where you truly fellowship, brothers and sisters. He says to fervently love, that means to be eager, to intent, to constantly do it. In context, in fact, it's saying that Christ loves me. He's my faithful high priest. Whoever lives to intercede for me, may I, with that same vigor, be courteous, interested, helpful, finding ways to bless you. This brings us to our next point. <clears throat> Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. He says it again in verse 8. And then that'll be our good transition for our next point. He says in verse 8, what was read above all, he says it again, keep fervent. Why does he say keep fervent? Because it's easy to just come in on Sundays. Uh, it's the same thing over and over. Oh, week by week. You know, like what I used to say is the... Is the um, the hamster wheel of life. 
go to work, go to Costco, bring my groceries, go to church, come home, work, Costco, home, work, Costco, home. Over and over and over. And yet the Bible says that you need to be fervent and eager in your love. I'm actually thinking of ways to bless this person. Because love covers a multitude of sins. And then notice it's connected. If in fact you do love, what does it say? The obvious thing you should be doing is number nine. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. So that moves us to our next our next uh, point. True display of Christ's love is in loving fellow believers. That's the first point. But secondly, it's in loving strangers. Now, this is where I'm going to push it. Verse 2 of chapter of Hebrews 13. Go back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2. Another way, he says here, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. One way God has called every Christian to display his love. He has called you. Brothers and sisters, please, try not, do not make a category for yourself that says, no, that doesn't apply to me. This doesn't apply to me because I'm not a pastor, I'm not an elder, I'm not a deacon. That's false. He's saying this to you, that a way that you will, dis- you will show love is to love strangers by way of hospitality. Now notice he says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. What is hospitality? Oftentimes we think hospitality is having friends over, you know, you might have a pool at your house and they came swimming and then we left and you were hospitable and that's all good and fine, but that's not biblical hospitality. Hospitality is not uh, simply opening up your, your home for a Bible study to known members of the church. That's good. That's loving the brethren. That's not hospitality, brothers and sisters. Mm, what do you mean? Opening up your home to have board games and stuff, that's fun and that's good and we ought to do this. We ought to share life with one another. That's not hospitality. You're blessing believers' lives and I've been a a recipient of these blessings, but that's still in the context of loving believers What hospitality is, strictly speaking, by definition, is the welcoming and receiving of strangers. Folks you don't know. And now, all of a sudden, see, folks want to redefine what hospitality is because it's easier. It's easier for me to welcome people I know and love. I want my friends. I want my cousins. I want folks in my church who I know. But the Bible is challenging you. God is challenging you to push this love. You can't get away from this. You have no option in this as a believer. You're called to love strangers. Now here, this is, you know, some people are like, well, you're getting in my kitchen, Angelo. I don't, you're getting too close. I don't like this. This is what the Bible is saying. (laughs) 
Philozenia is the word. Philozenia for hospitality. In fact, the text does not say show hospitality to strangers. It just says philozenia. Because implicit in the word, it means philo, which is the same word for Philadelphia. You remember, I love. Xenia, where we get xenophobe, xenophobic, you know, people who are afraid of strangers. The Bible says we are to go move towards strangers, not away. We move toward them. We go forward, not the other way. And so the Bible says that hospitality is the loving of strangers. Welcoming strangers. In other words, here, now here's something you have to really consider. If your excuse of not inviting someone or not welcoming them is because you do not know them, if that's your excuse then you're going exactly against what this text is saying. In fact, the text says, if you don't know them, you go forward. Does that make sense? The hospitality is actually welcoming and receiving of strangers. And now this, this shocked me when I saw this in real life. Because you think when, when someone says hospitality, sometimes people think, oh, that means entertaining. No, that's not what it is at all. Christian hospitality has its focus in welcoming and giving the gospel and showing love. Entertaining is like Martha Stewart. Entertaining is like better homes and gardens. Entertaining is like that. Oh, you come in and I'm going to entertain your interest for a while. Christian hospitality is not like that at all. It is targeted. It is in, it is uh, uh, intentional. It is purposeful. I want you to feel welcome and to know that coming to Christ is welcome. This was, uh, this was like, this was shown to me in many different ways. I think I've told this story before, but I was convicted of how inhospitable I was. Um, I got a chance to go to different places all over the world. And um, I was preaching in Mexico one time. And uh, man, you know, most people will say, oh man, that food was great. And it was, not going to lie, that food was good, right? Every morning I had just authentic, good Mexican food. But then I saw, I noticed something, Jeanette and I, Jeanette and I, we, were, we didn't have kids, so we are just going on these mission trips all over. Jeanette and I, uh, so this couple, they just built this house out of cinder block. And it's just cement and cinder block. There was no paint. There's no drywall, you understand. This was like probably 100 yards from the border. I could see like Chula Vista if I got on my tiptoes, right? And they had this cinder block and it was just two rooms and the only thing that separated us was this makeshift pole and this curtain. And they gave us this bed right next to them. And they heard, they heard Angelo snoring all the way. You know, you gotta, there's no way of hiding that. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm sitting there 
And I'm just thinking, looking at the cinder block, thinking, how selfish am I? They're giving all that they have. And there are times when I don't even invite folks to my house. And to further push it, as I was sitting there, I learned that they had to send their son to grandma down the road to sleep with him so I could have his bed. I'm like, how many, how many times you hear that in America? Uh, we don't have space for you. That's what happens in America. Because I don't want my schedule all messed up. This is how we live our lives. Work and then we plug in, hit that button to our garage door, in, close it, don't talk to anybody. I don't want to know you. I don't want to know your problems. I don't want to feel. I don't want to have to care for you. Why? Because you're selfish. That is not the heart of Christ. What would happen to you if he was selfish? He moved first. Do you see? Hospitality is not some extra thing. It is showing, it is showing those that you move first because of what Christ has done. If you're going to wait for them to move first, you're going to be waiting, brothers and sisters. That's not the gospel. That's not how it's shown forth. And I was convicted. You know what they did, too? I learned, too, like, there was this porta potty, okay? And they were so proud to show me. And I have to tell you guys this, okay? They said, that's the old one, Angelo. And it was a vault toilet. I don't know if you guys know what that is. It's just a hole. Okay. And they said, we spent all two weeks last week digging this for you so you could have the nice new one. In that hot Mexican desert air, digging that, just so that I wouldn't have the uncomfortability of going into a different vault toilet. And I was thinking, how selfish am I in America where I have all these things? Man, I've I got like I got three toilets. Use any one you want. I got a barbecue. I just click, 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 click. Boom. On. It's on. And yet we hold back. I learned from them. That really, that changed me. That moment changed me. I'm not loving. I'm not as hospitable as I'd like to think I am. I need to learn. It's not an option for a Christian. Notice that chapter 13 verse 2. He says, hospitality should not be neglected. It's neglected because we're self-centered and we're selfish. We don't want to deal with it. Because it takes effort, doesn't it? It takes effort to have folks over. Hospitality should be focused on strangers. We talked about that. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2. Here's some aspects about hospitality. Hospitality is intentional. You could write down Romans 12, 13. Why don't you look there? Romans 12, 13. Let love be without hypocrisy. Verse 9, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. He says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. 
Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints. And then he says what? Practicing hospitality. The word there for practicing is pursuing, striving, seeking, running after. It doesn't wait for others to do it. Do you understand? It doesn't say, oh, oh, oh. You, it's actually chasing. You're chasing. You're not going to do it? Fine, I'll do it. You're not going to do it? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Why? Because it's a blessing to be used for God. I want the gospel to be in our families. I want my kids to see what it looks like. I want, I want to be doing this for the, and I want to reach folks, and I want to honor Christ. It's chasing after it. It's not saying, oh, that's what I used to do when I was in my 20s and 30s, when we were young. It's still doing it. That's what we used to do as Christians when we were younger. No, it continues and it pursues. Why? Because Christ continues and pursues. And if you don't want to be used by this, he's just going to skip you and move you someone else. Is that what you want? A fruitless life? Not used for the gospel of Christ? Simply because you wouldn't invite people. Hospitality should be practiced by any and all Christians, regardless of financial position. If you write down 1 Timothy 5.10, you notice they're, say, they're asking the question, which of the widows should we support in the church? These are the widows, the ones who have a reputation for good works, brought up children, and has shown hospitality to strangers. You mean the one who needs money? The one who's poor? She showed hospitality to strangers. I think this is a, another misconception of what hospitality is. Hospitality is not for rich people to open their homes. Do you understand? It's not just, oh, we can't be hospitable because we're poor. The widows were poor. The ones who needed money were poor. You just need to be creative. There was a when, when Jeanette and I, uh, when Jeanette and I would bring people over, we didn't have money for food. See, we were so convicted when we came back from Mexico. We said, we're not going to, we're not going to live for ourselves like this. We're not going to just live for ourselves. We're not going to do this anymore. Honey, let's change. Let's really be in the lives of people. So we started inviting folks. And sometimes we wouldn't have any food. And everybody started to find out on Sunday evenings, Angelo and Jeanette, we started having what we call count your blessings dinner. Now, I don't know if you guys, see, I come from a Filipino background. If you have leftovers in the, in the refrigerator, we chop that up and make fried rice. That's what we make. You understand? You guys could make whatever you make, but it's whatever is in the fridge, we, we say we count our blessings. Oh, there's some ham in there. Chop that up. There's some steak. Chop that up. A little bit of hot dog. Throw that in there. Some eggs. Bam! We have a meal. And I would fry it in this big wok like this. And everybody would come and just pop it in their plate like that. Right? You don't need much. I used to tell guys in India, well, I don't have money. Well, then why don't you share a cup of chai with somebody? You got 20 rupees? Well, yeah. Well, why don't you use that? Sometimes you students might sit there and think, oh, I'm not, a, I can't do hospital. Yes, you can. Are you in your circle of friends in high school? 
during lunchtime and you see someone who doesn't have a friend and you don't invite them, that's your lack of hospitality because you just want to be with the popular crowd. That's where you need, that is not the heart of Christ. Let me tell you right now. When you only care about your own clique. Yes, you can be hospitable. Can you extend the hand and welcome folks? Hospitality should not be motivated for future benefit. When Jesus said to gather all of them. Look at Luke chapter 14. I want you to see this is Jesus' words. This is not Angelo's desires. This is not RBC's desires. This is Jesus' words. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 11 he says this. Luke 14 and 11 he says. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled. He who humbles himself shall be exalted. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon, here it is. Is this Jesus? When you give a luncheon or a dinner, what does it say? What's it saying there? Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. He's not saying never have them over, never have family dinners. He's not saying that. He's just saying this, what? Lest they also invite you in return and repayment come to you. He's saying, but when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. There's the promise. You will be blessed. Since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus himself says, you are going to miss out in blessing if you just keep inviting your friends and not strangers. You're going to miss it out. And if you do invite strangers, he says, you will be blessed. Your payment not, may not be in this earth, he says, he says, but in eternal glory, you'll be paid back. And ultimately, it's because folks come to Christ hospitality should be done joyfully 1 Peter 4 8 above all keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins he says be hospitable to one another without complaint oh man gotta have them over again their kids always write on our tables oh they keep spilling all over the carpet oh the bible says all these things are not yours really God gave them to you. Use them for his glory. Hospitality is a mark of maturity in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 2. And in Titus 1, 8, it's the elders who should be leading in this. If you want to be an elder in this church and you're not hospitable, I don't want to talk to you about it. If you don't open your home and welcome strangers, I don't want to talk to you about it. Because you're not there. The Bible says... The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable. It means you really have no real heart for God. The, the doctrine has not translated in your life and in your home. Christ has not transformed that part of you yet. You need to grow where you can let yourself go and it doesn't have to be all about you anymore. Hospitality has unexpected far-reaching effects. Notice in Hebrews chapter 13. Go back to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 and, and he says in verse 2. 
Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Why? For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Now the way you apply this text is not, okay, I want to be hospitable because I want angels in my house. That is not the application whatsoever. Okay. What the text is saying is, it's hearkening back to when Abraham invited the angels to his house unknowingly and he fed them bread and he, and he gave them and he blessed them. And it had further ramifications for the blessing on his life and blessings of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and all of that. What the text is saying is that you don't know the ramifications and, what, and the fruit of what happens when you bring someone over. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know the blessings that's going to happen. Our other elder brother, Jeremy, he, was a, he and his young family came to Community Bible Church in Vallejo, California. And he says, the reason why we stayed is because the pastor asked us to come over his house. And it, was, and it struck him that they would actually be hospitable. And they're actually living what the text says. And this, this struck me because I, when we would have folks, we were, Jeanette and I, we were married, serving in college and career. And the singles, because they had no place to go, they would always come to our house. So every day, uh, every uh, Friday, they would come, or after Sunday, Sundays, they would come to our house. And we, we bought this little home in Vallejo. I think it was like 900 square feet. I was looking at it the other day because I was reminiscing, you know. 900 square feet. I, I think we had people, they couldn't even fit inside our house. So they kind of, some folks stood outside and looked through the window. And we had, uh, we had uh, count your blessings dinner that day. One time there was this girl who was uh, visiting our college in career. Um, she didn't know anybody. She wasn't a believer. And I said, hey, nice to meet you. Why don't you come over? And we brought her over with all the crew over. Susan, Susan Moritz. And she, every time she comes visits, you see her, she visits. She stays with the Gervasios all the time, right? But every time she comes, right? Every time she comes, she goes, the reason why I stayed and the reason why I heard the gospel, Angelo, and the reason why I got saved was because you invited me when you didn't even know me. I had no clue. Jeanette and I had no clue that that was going to happen. We just started to see this, this imperative and it started to burn in our hearts that I need to let go of myself and to invite folks. You don't know the far-reaching effects. You don't know what kind of background those folks have come through, how difficult it has been. You don't know the kind of sins that they've, the, and the consequences that they've had to endure and that they're still questioning whether God exists. Hospitality spreads the gospel. Hospitality spreads the gospel. Now follow this thinking, okay? Think about it. We're called to make disciples of all nations, amen? Amen? Oh, there's no Amen. Amen. We're called to make disciples of all nations. Amen? Amen. Amen. How do we make disciples? We give the gospel. Correct? 
How do we give the gospel? What do you have to do? Here's where the disconnect is. Yes, we need to preach the gospel. We need to reach all people. You need to have strangers in your home. Whoa! No! I got to talk to strangers? Brothers and sisters, here's, here's reality. This is the truth, okay? The gospel short circuits in your life. It doesn't continue unless you are willing to shake that hand and to reach people and to meet strangers. You have to meet strangers. This church will not grow. We will not be an influence in Oceanside if you don't want to speak to strangers. If you're so shy, by the way, shy is pride. You're only thinking about yourself and your comfortability. You need to let that go and ask God to, help, to free you from that. I'm not thinking of myself. I'm thinking about someone else and what their experience is. You actually have to do that. You have to welcome strangers. Rosaria Butterfield, um, before she was a popular Christian author, <coughs> Rosaria Butterfield, she was a tenured professor at Syracuse University. She was a lesbian feminist fighting for the cause of LGBTQ. She was an unlikely convert. And in 1999, she struck up a friendship with uh, this husband and wife, Ken Smith. Uh, Ken was a pastor, Presbyterian pastor in her area. And she wrote this in an article. Ken's, uh, she, said, she thought that only the gay community had, commu uh, had actually real community because during the 90s when the AIDS epidemic ran through, uh, the 80s and 90s when the AIDS epidemic ran through, they would band together and help each other out, give each other food. And then all of a sudden she started to go to this Presbyterian person's house, this preacher's house, and they would just welcome her. And this is what she says. Ken's Christian community gathered at his house at all hours. I learned this because he invited me in. For two years, I was loved and welcomed by a Christian community that I mocked, despised, and rejected. I accepted them when it worked for me and rejected them all the other times. There is simply no way I would have walked into a church she means building, if I hadn't had a genuine friendship with the man behind the pulpit. For two years, I was part of Ken and Floyd Smith's ministry. I met with them once a week at their home. The door was wide open. People were always in and out of the house. People from church, people not from church. Heated, genuine conversations would happen. People would speak honestly. Tears would flow. But it was different because <coughs> Ken would open the Bible, sing from the Psalter, and then he would pray. It was so disarming. I couldn't help but go back. It was in this context of hospitality that Ken brought the church to me because it was impossible for me to get to the church without the bridge of somebody's house. 
Hospitality also displays tangibly how much you value God and the gospel. And I, it, it says in um, 3 John, you want to, you could write that down there. He says in verse 6, he says, They bear witness to your love before the church and you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Middle school and high school, invite someone over for dinner. Ask mom and dad, hey, can we do this? Or see someone at lunchtime by themselves. Talk to them. Invite them in. Ask them to eat with you. Ask them about themselves. Invite them to crew for 12 meetings and events. Ask them to hang out with you and your Christian friends. College or single folks. Invite them to coffee. Plan on taking newcomers to lunch from service when you see them. Include them in conversations. Invite to meetings and, and events with uh, COA, Christ Our anchor, which is our college and career ministry. Allow them to see your love for one another. Married folks, invite for lunch, dinner, dessert, playdates, your kids playing together. Allow them to come. See how the body lives. Work with your husband or your wife. Plan. And I would say to you, um, brothers and sisters, get a crock pot. That's one of the best tools. You could use a crock pot for the glory of Christ. You know what I mean? What it, guys don't know what a crock pot is. It's one of those, you put food in there in the morning, you go to ch- church service, you come back, food's done. Bam, hot food. Hey, we got a crock pot of pot roast. Who's going to say no? I'm there. Right? You got pot roast? Is there carrots in there with mushroom? I'm going. Right? For the glory of Christ, brothers and sisters. If you've gotten away from it, let's get, let's get there again. Then he says in verse 3, another, you love strangers. What is it? You love the, love the body of Christ. You love strangers and you love the suffering. It says to remember the prisoners as those who are in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves are in the body. The emphasis here is really have sympathy for those who are suffering, especially those who are believers in... This is a, a sympathetic heart for those who are suffering. It's for helping those who might, uh, who are, might be suffering from abroad, in abroad. It might be persecution, Christians who are being arrested in prison because of persecution. It might be your brothers and sisters who are Marines and who are stuck in Afghanistan trying to help folks. Suffering. And you're not forgetting them. You're still praying for them and sending stuff. One of our best compliments as a church that we've heard was uh, when... uh, when this private Ellie said to us that our church was very highly doctrinal but very loving and I was very encouraged. I don't want to be just loving, no doctrine. I don't want to be highly doctrinal with no love. A dry, dusty orthodoxy. But brothers and sisters, praise the Lord RBC, but there is so much more we can do. If we but extend the hand. Amen. I want to challenge you. All of this brothers and sisters. Stem first. Because Christ himself is hospitable. 
Yes, he is. You can do this because he welcomed you. Didn't he say, come, those who are weary and heavy laden? And what? He said, and I will give you rest. He didn't wait for them. He went and told them, come. Doesn't he prepare a place for you so that where, you, where I will be, you will be also? Doesn't he do that? Amen? And doesn't he, when we take communion today, doesn't he call it the Lord's Supper? And doesn't he invite you to partake if you trust it in him to remember what I did for you by having my body broken and spilling my blood for you? Amen? It's absolutely, by God's grace, one of the most Christ-like things you can do. Because why? When you open up yourself in hospitality, you're very vulnerable, aren't you? They're going to see the leftover dirty dishes and maybe the little dust bunnies you forgot to dust. And they're going to see all of that. Brothers and sisters, extend yourself for the glory of Christ. May folks know who he is. May they know his love because you love them that way. Father, we pray. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can trust in you, we pray. Lord, would you do this mighty work? Thank you for inviting us. We love because you first loved us. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.